Welcome to The Wrong Side, the podcast where we talk through the latest happenings in pop culture to help make sure you never find yourself on the wrong side of history. Today, we're talking about the backlash against Chris Harrison, the Britney Spears documentary by the New York Times on Hulu, and Taylor Swift's latest album announcement. Let's discuss. Are you feeling zen right now, Audrey? Yeah. Okay, good, because we're going to keep the vibes chill. We're going to keep them (laughs) calm. We're going to keep them cool and collected. Okay, so here's the thing. The reason Emily is doing this is because (laughs) we were just talking about how whenever we're excited about the topics (laughs) about an episode, we get so hype. We talk about it. In a, in a way that is overwhelming and then we listen back and we're like oh we think it's so great when we're done recording because we think we had this awesome banter <laughs> and, and in reality it's loud and overwhelming and not chill the volume on garage band the audio is just through the <laughs> roof and we're like this must be a really overwhelming experience for our listeners who listen on monday mornings and they're just waking 100%. up yeah, they're just so logging into work. Like, maybe we do need to serve them some chiller vibes. We, yeah, I mean, we felt that way. The funniest example of that was when we recorded with Nadia. Because, you know, we were doing, we were having some drinky poos. We were laughing. <laughs> we were super giggly. And we were like, holy shit, that was so fun. That episode's going to be so good. And <laughs> you listened to it in the car on the drive back when I was taking you back home and we were like oh my god we are blowing out the speakers in this in this car right now <laughs> so just a little moment of self-awareness we're working on it and especially because we have very exciting stories to talk about this week so we're gonna try to keep it cool but and by exciting and by exciting we mean just extremely hot tea mm-hmm. and things that we feel very passionately about so let's start really quickly with the question of the day and then let's get into it because we gotta we gotta get into it (laughs) we gotta go 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 baby so this question was submitted by my best friend Gretchen and she submits us or she gives us so many questions god bless you Gretchen (laughs) but this one is quick and easy okay and she said not to fuel the queen's gambit fire but which co-host would win in a game of chess now how do we want to do this do you want to say on the count of three who would win um just tell me who you think and then I'll say what I think okay I think for sure you would win. Yeah, I was going to say me too. (laughs) (laughs) Like my mind doesn't work in that way. I have never been good at, you know, checkers, chess, puzzles. I hate puzzles. I think you're very game-minded in that way. And I just can't do it. I like I like fast paced things. I can't, I've never been able to sit down and actually learn anything. (laughs) It goes slowly and strategic. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, f- I, f- I think I'm pretty strategic. That's why I chose myself. And I just can't really picture you enjoying chess. <laughs> no. I didn't know you didn't like puzzles and stuff. And you know, I love puzzles. Exactly. But I could just never imagine you being like, let's play a board game. <laughs> no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love board games like Candyland and Sorry. And growing <laughs> up, I love that because it's, yeah, it's really aggressive. But, and I guess so is chess, but I just, yeah, I'm not nearly strategic as you. And also that did hurt to say just because, you know, especially with our Queen's Gambit argument, I feel like I should be the chess player because I love her so much, but I'll give this one to you. I don't 
I don't feel like I could beat Beth Harmon at chess. So. <laughs> I lose. James and I play chess sometimes, and I don't often win. It's actually a, become a sore spot in the relationship oh, where we have God. stopped playing chess. But <laughs> anyways. Great question. It's good to know your strengths and your weaknesses. Speaking of knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, <laughs> Chris Harrison is under fire. Chris Harrison's under fire. <laughs> Let's talk about it. All right. This is from page six. Bachelor host Chris Harrison issued an apology on Wednesday for controversial comments made in an interview with former lead Rachel Lindsay, bachelorette lead Rachel Lindsay, admitting that he spoke, quote, in a manner that perpetuates racism. He came under fire earlier this week after saying fans should offer contestant Rachel Kirkconnell, quote, a little grace, a little understanding, end quote, amid accusations that she liked racially insensitive social media posts and was photographed at a plantation themed party while in school at Georgia College and State University in 2018. A quote from Chris Harrison himself. My guess, these girls got dressed up and went to a party and had a great time. They were 18 years old. Now, does it make it okay? I don't know, Rachel, talking to Rachel Lindsay, you tell me. But where is this lens we're holding up? And was that lens available? And were we all looking through it in 2018? I don't know. I don't have these answers. Now, this clip circulated. It, it made its rounds around the internet. And I was actually very happy to see that it did blow up in a way that there it sparked a greater conversation. Um, people basically were coming for Chris just basically saying, dude, what the hell, man? Like, how can you take such a shitty, like, that's just a garbage take. Um, and we'll get into some of the feedback too as well. But in his apology, he posted on Instagram and wrote the following. To my Bachelor Nation family, I will always own a mistake when I make one, so I'm here to extend a sincere apology. I have this incredible platform to speak about love, and yesterday I took a stance on topics about which I should have been better informed. While I do not speak for Rachel Kirkconnell, my intentions were simply to ask for grace in offering her an opportunity to speak on her own behalf. What I now realize I have done is cause harm by wrongly speaking in a manner that perpetuates racism, and for that I am so sorry. Okay. Now, this is actually really a developing story because actually Rachel Kirkconnell herself released a statement not 20 minutes before we started recording, which we'll get into as well. But I want to talk through first, after you had watched that initial video, that interview between Chris and Rachel, what were your thoughts? What were your feelings? Did you expect that this was going to blow up and that he was going to get the backlash that he received? And how did you take, you know, his... <laughs> overall vibe in that interview and those comments that he made so my first impression was chris harrison woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning <laughs> like you could tell i feel like usually on the bachelor and the bachelorette he's in such a fun mood and he's like messing around with everybody he's very lighthearted. he was salty during this interview and you could tell he was not happy to be there he was not enjoying that he was talking about that topic and my initial thoughts one Please stop saying the word woke. The number of times that he said the word woke, like he kept referencing the woke police. And then he kept saying, you know, Rachel, it, it shouldn't be expected to be woke enough for this. I just, that was horrible. And then I also didn't appreciate that he kept referring to Rachel as poor girl, Rachel, poor girl, Rachel. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's not... I don't know. It just, that didn't, that rubbed me the wrong way as if like, oh, let's all feel bad for Rachel. Like, no, we should all be held at the same standards. So I didn't like that. 
third impression did not like his comparison to Hannah B. I'm like, first of all, maybe let's not. I'm sure Hannah B was like, don't bring that up. Did not ask to be involved in this narrative. I can totally imagine Hannah Brown watching that and saying, oh my God, you know, I did not. Let's put that in the past. I, let's not bring up my Instagram live. And then finally, my, no, never mind. I have two more thoughts. Fourth thought. I know we'll probably bring this up, but I hated how he kept referring to 2018 like it was 50 years ago. He kept saying, you know, we were, it was under a different lens in 2018. I agree with that. I do. But that was three years ago. And let's not just give her a free pass because it was in 2018. And he kept saying that she was 18 years old. No, she was 21. So screw off. Yeah. And how old is she now? 22, literally. Like it's how much older is she? when she was when those photos were taken like yeah I'm like she wasn't eight years old at an elementary Halloween party like she was (laughs) a fully old I know like he just kept referring to her as a child and then finally my fifth and final thought is he was really salty about what the Bachelor franchise is in charge of handling like he really dug in at some of the fans and basically just said, we're not in charge of dealing with your problems that you have. Like we don't have the time of day. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure he didn't mean that in maybe as horrible of a way as it came across, Mm -hmm. but he really did not seem like he was down for the bachelor franchise to be in charge of any, or have any responsibility in anything. So all great points. And I also think to kind of, and I felt the same way about everything you said. And then to layer on top of the points that you made, a couple other things is the context in which this interview happened, we have to remember is right off the backs, uh, the back of Dylan Barber going off about how the Bachelor franchise does not take care of the cast and does not give a shit about their mental health. Yep. And so this is an, in no way defending Chris Harrison because I think he was on the wrong side <laughs> in this entire interview. But just to, to see his perspective of, oh, this is, you know, a bullying situation and I want to like show that bachelor nation does care about their contestants potentially could have been some of the reasoning behind his like weird defensiveness over Rachel. And then the other thing that a lot of people are saying are like, okay, why did you ride this hard for her? Like we've never seen Chris Harrison ride so hard for a current contestant on the show, which only leads fans to believe that Rachel is the winner. Now I don't know if that's true or not. So I'm, cause I'm actually spoiler free still, which is great. So we'll have to see. But a lot of people are like, you literally just spoiled it for us. Like, now we know. And I wouldn't be surprised because we've been talking about how Rachel is the front runner for quite some time. No, that's a great point. I just, I hated how much he was defending her because again, he kept referring to her as poor Rachel and as if she was a child. And I'm like, this is a fully grown woman. She can make her own statements. And first of all, also side note, Kirk Connell, what a horrible last name. Like that does not roll off the tongue. Like it sounds not like a typo. But anyway, back to Rachel. Scary. My thoughts while this was going on was wow, I like Rachel just needs to speak out already because the fact that Chris Harrison is having to defend her so hard, I'm like, she really just needs to get out there and say something. So it's ironic that this came through now. Yeah. So Rachel ended up posting on Instagram today, you know, the similar format of Chris Harrison's apology. And what I mean by that is it's a, it's writing in a photo that she posted on her Instagram and it says the following. 
While there have been rumors circulating, there have also been truths that have come to light that I need to address. I hear you, and I'm here to say I was wrong. At one point, I didn't recognize how offensive and racist my actions were, but that doesn't excuse them. My age or when it happened does not excuse anything. They are not acceptable or okay in any sense. I was ignorant, but my ignorance was racist. I am sorry to the communities and individuals that my actions harmed and offended. I am ashamed about my lack of education, but it is no one's responsibility to educate me. I'm learning and will continue to learn how to be anti-racist because it's important to speak up in the moment and not after you're called out. Okay. If you are a person who doesn't understand the offense in question, I urge you to learn from my mistakes and encourage you to use this as a teachable moment. As for my family, I love them and how they raised me to be my own individual. They have always encouraged me to have my own views, opinions, and beliefs. As I was thinking about what I wanted to say, I couldn't help but think about how sick people must be of reading these kinds of statements, how a person didn't realize the trauma that their actions would inflict on other people. It must get so exhausting. I want to put my energy towards preventing people from making the same offensive mistakes that I made in the first place, and I hope I can prove this to you moving forward. Racial progress, Rachel, sorry, racial progress and unity are impossible without white accountability, and I, I deserve to be held accountable for my actions. I will never grow unless I recognize what I have done wrong. I don't think one apology means that I deserve your forgiveness, but rather I hope I can earn your forgiveness through my future actions. Okay. That was long. It was really long. It didn't look that long when I was about to read it, but I, I think it was important to read because, you know, we've been reading a lot of these um, apology letters lately, just in the last year and the last three to five years, honestly. My initial thoughts after reading that, I I mean, I really think it's, it's well-written. Uh, it includes to me what an apology for her quote offense should have included an acknowledgement of you know the trauma that it causes an understanding and a recognition that the apology doesn't mean anything without actions and I think that's kind of the key here is that's really is the case it's like yes we are all so sick of reading these apology statements and it to me it's just like I'm not We've talked about cancel culture a lot. It always comes up because it's one of the, you know, biggest things that happens with any, like, at all in the influencer space. For me, it's like, I don't think that she deserves to be canceled, deserves to be cyberbullied, whatever. But I just am like, okay, it's going to, it'd be, I'd be really hard pressed to believe that she's actually going to do anything take any actions to prove that she deserves forgiveness that isn't in the interest of protecting her own image versus supporting the and becoming an ally to the groups that she had harmed when she liked those photos, when she went to those parties, when she dressed racially, you know, in uh, racially insensitive garb or whatever you want to say. So that's the thing that's tough. The other thing is like, I, honestly don't think that she wrote that I just oh, no. don't <laughs> like, I'm no. sorry I I really don't want to like undermine the intelligence <laughs> of a young woman but no this, this just is like a this is like a Kim and North and who drew it and who wrote it and it's just all it's all blurry I mean that's the thing I mean I think that and it almost makes me it's such a good apology that I'm almost wondering who provided who who provided the PR professional support here because they had a big budget. <laughs> well, here's what I'm thinking is that as soon as Chris Harrison started coming under fire, I'm sure the franchise just got on her and was like, it's your turn to speak out. We can't have it all on Chris and on us. Like you need to take some accountability. And I think that it's interesting that in the apology, it says it's important to speak up in the moment. And not after you're called out because she waited a good six weeks to say something. 
after she got called out. Yep. And so also what we heard because of Chris Harrison, because she was clearly taking her time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I, I really, I'm having a hard time knowing whether or not she would have ever spoken out with Chris Harrison. I feel like she would have, especially because if she is the winner, I, that sounds like I just spoiled it. I genuinely don't know if she is the winner. She would have had to spoken out about it, especially because it's the first black bachelor and this backlash just coming off of 2020 at all like she there would have been no recovering if she hadn't addressed it so I do feel like she was going to and the the Chris Harrison interview definitely made it worse just for everybody like I don't know why Chris Harrison couldn't have just been like I can't speak for her but I know her personally and I think that she's a great person or whatever and I hope that she speaks about it soon he got really involved he got really involved and I think he was becoming you know the bachelor franchise I try when we're talking about these stories to think about the perceptions of the people within the franchise because Bachelor Nation is so ruthless. So they probably have this perspective that as a normal consumer of Bachelor who isn't, you know, DMing them death threats and stuff and who just wants to support people that are good, I don't always feel or see or have the perspective that they have constantly being cyber bullied, constantly getting shit in their DMs, constantly being told to kill themselves. So I'm trying to be better at like seeing that perspective. And I feel like that's kind of what was happening with Chris Harrison, where he was like, dude, and I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like his intent that he did not get across was like, yeah, that was bad. Let's like talk about that. Let's have a conversation about it. But also like, can we not like murder this person? But instead he just was like, oh, that was three years ago or, you know, times have changed, which was a horrible take. I remember when we were, when we were freshmen in college in our sorority, we would have conversations about Halloween and cultural appropriation and not a single person that I knew dressed up, you know, as of Native American or as Pocahontas or whatever, because we know that's not okay. Yeah. And so for him to be like, it was 2018, like, did we have that lens in 2018? Yes, we did have that lens. Maybe Rachel didn't, but <laughs> our generation 100% had that lens in 2018. Yeah, no, whoever prepped Chris Harrison for that interview, not a great <laughs> job on their part. I'm sure they were just like shitting themselves watching that go down. And especially because the interview was with Rachel Lindsay, who is so educated and so spoken on the issue and she's devoted so much of her time into educating people that just made it even worse it was just a horrible video to watch if you haven't seen it go watch it but I'm sorry in advance because it will cause some pain (laughs) Rachel Lindsay deserves like a raise or a bonus for having to deal with that like that must have been in so infuriating for her for the spokesperson For the spokesperson of the franchise to have that stance, and she already has so many issues with The Bachelor, which are all rightful from what I know, and it's mostly about like representation and diversity on the show, and then for fucking Chris Harrison to take that stance was horrible. Okay, Um, are there any other points we need to talk about here? I think we covered everything. Yeah, it'll just be interesting for The Bachelor to see if there's after the final rose this season, because there wasn't mm-hmm. last season. And if there is, this is obviously going to get brought up. But Chris Harrison mentioned that at the Women Tell All, this was not brought up. And another point, I'm pretty sure I read that 
Rachel didn't go to the women tell all. Yeah. But it's yeah. unclear if that's because of this controversy happening all during the time that the women tell all was filmed. Cause it was like a week or two ago that they filmed it. Yeah. And or was she not at the women tell all because she literally won the show. <laughs> we will never know. That. Or I guess we will know. We'll we know. know. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I think it'll just be interesting to see how this develops. Really rough week. Chris Harrison is definitely on the wrong side for this one. And obviously so is Rachel. Yep. Well, speaking of people that the media just eat up and eat alive, we are moving into Britney Spears. If you guys have not seen our stories, basically there's this new documentary on Hulu and she's just, Britney has been in the news again this week because a ton of people are starting to watch this documentary. It's called Framing Britney Spears on Hulu. And this article from Variety really sums it up if you haven't seen it. While digging into the conservatorship at its core, the documentary is set against a backdrop of the misogynistic world of the late 90s and early 2000s that is stunningly offensive, watching through the lens of 2021. Facing overwhelming tabloid exposure and societal pressures that never wanted to let her win, the doc showcases a side of Spears that has rarely rarely been celebrated in the media over the course of her two-decade career. Fiercely independent, strong-willed, and incredibly resilient. Of course, this is something that Spears fans have always known, which is why they've so passionately stood behind her throughout the hashtag Free Britney movement and won't back down until they believe justice has been served. And framing Britney Spears raises questions that will absolutely add fuel to that fire. Quote, the main thing that's getting expressed by the Free Britney movement is asking us to question the conservatorship system, says producer and director Samantha Stark of the New York Times. The central mystery of our film is that she's living the life of a busy pop star, and yet we're being told that she's at risk constantly. She's making millions of dollars, and yet we're told she's incapable of making decisions that are in her own best interest. That's such a conflict, so it's hard to understand why it's happening, and so many of the court records are sealed. So, wow. I did not, I went into this documentary and first of all, it's only an hour and 15 minutes. And if you're looking it up on Hulu, do not type Britney Spears, type in the New York Times presents because otherwise (laughs) you will not be able to find it. I learned that the hard way, but I really went into this documentary like a Britney fan. I've always liked her music. Obviously she's an icon. My friend Sam said it best. Like she truly walked so future female pop stars could run. And I came out of this documentary a free Britney activist and I just I have to hear your thoughts what were your overall impressions and before and after feelings yeah I felt the same way I think it definitely so what was interesting about the documentary was it didn't necessarily expose anything which is not that I was expecting that but if you'd been you know lightly even lightly following this story since especially the conservatorship stuff has come up in the last few years then this is none of this is new information but what I think that excerpt from Variety tells really well is that it really puts into perspective her kind of downfall where she shaves her head and has a sort of mental breakdown or whatever. And the context and the lens <laughs> that we were looking at it from when that happened <laughs> is so fascinating. Like I remember when that was all happening and it wasn't a human who was having an actual mental health crisis it was entertainment and now looking back it's like holy shit like what sorts of things are happening right now that we're going to look back on and think holy shit we were seeing this as entertainment that's a person you know what i mean and i feel like it told such a great story where it makes sense why she had that you know fall from grace she was completely terrorized by the media for basically the entirety of her young adult years, you know, into her adult life and into having children. 
then it gets to the more recent stuff, which has been, you know, what we've been paying attention to, even as we've been filming the wrong side, the free Britney movement, the conservatorship. And it definitely just raises flags where we're all like, okay, at some point, I hope that we get answers. And that's kind of the sad part is that we don't have any of the answers and it definitely doesn't add up. And there's a reason that there are so many conspiracies about it, whether or not she's actually trying to send us messages through Instagram or actually like is totally fine and she's being taken advantage of or whatever the fuck is going on there's definitely something very sinister happening and we will never we may never know I hope that we will and like we want to hear from her but we may not and that's like so sad I know and there were some crazy I mean the people that they interviewed for this documentary were all so interesting and had such great insight I had chills when they asked that one attorney, you know, have you ever seen a conservatorship end? Have you ever seen it successfully terminated? And she just goes, no. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, we're in for it. But I feel like we need to split this up into, I feel like first, maybe we should talk about the horrible sexist things that she had to deal with. And then obviously we have to talk about her dad. And then we need a sidebar about the paparazzi because I just need to vent about that. But I feel like first we just need to highlight the disgusting things that she had to put up with in interviews and just in her career. Yeah, I feel like that was not even it's (laughs) the edit of it all really makes you realize, you know, what the misogynistic culture that we live in and a lot of those things like I think they chose you know they specifically chose really blatant examples of misogyny in the media and in entertainment um like that clip of Jay Leno talking about Monica Lewinsky or that clip of that uh I don't remember which news or nightly show host it was that said let's talk about your breasts to Britney or whatever but it really just highlights that's the kind of stuff where that stuff is still happening right now. And when we're focusing on, you know, women's relationships versus their accomplishments or their careers and focusing on women as like baby makers or anything like that, it really highlighted that issue. And it's just sad because she's historically one of the first people to ever have to deal with that. Like I was comparing her to Addison Ray because similar to Addison Ray, she's the first one to ex- to experience that level of fame via TikTok and on like digital media. Britney was kind of like a spearhead of the paparazzi, People Magazine, Us Magazine, like those things, those magazines used to fly off the shelves before social media became huge. It was like the very first social media, the first startup influencer culture was tabloids. And to see those headlines and the way that they wrote about her. Honestly, when I know it, I, my blood, I tried to watch this before going to bed and it just like shook me awake. I could not fall asleep. I was like, okay, I was not expecting to be so enraged by this documentary because I just didn't know that half of these things had happened. I've never watched her old interviews. I never knew that, yeah, she was asked about her breasts, like whether she was a virgin or not. And I didn't even think I mean, even though it's extremely unfortunate, I would have never pieced together that, you know, her rise to fame also did happen during the Monica Lewinsky thing. And I did, I would have never put those two together as, you know, a potential reason why people treated her so horribly. And who was it? Wasn't it the like a governor's wife that said in a clip that she would want to shoot Britney Spears because of the horrible examples she was setting for children? Yeah, something crazy. I don't remember. That was horrible. And then the just, okay, I've never been a huge Justin Timberlake fan because I've 
heard that he is just like horrible to people. But after hearing his interview and how their breakup was somehow all put on her. And then he went on that, I think it was a radio show and they were asking her if they had had sex and he goes, yeah, yeah. yeah, All right, fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. It was so disgusting. (laughs) It was just one of those nights where I was like, I simply hate all men. I have no other words. Men do not deserve anything. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It really was. It was just disgusting to watch and I just, again, I've never seen those old interviews. And I think that the documentary did a good job of highlighting those for maybe her younger fans like us who were never exposed to that time period and how horribly she really was being treated, especially through this 2021 lens. Yeah. And it's interesting kind of moving into like the rebirth, quote unquote, rebirth of Britney. And all of that took place. And what I'm referring to is once she started her shows again, um, her residency in Las Vegas, she started making more public appearances. She, you know, seemed more put together, but all of that was under the conservatorship, meaning that her father basically had sole decision-making power over her finances, over her life. Now I believe it's different to where it's only her finances, but not other things so that's kind of why there's like ongoing trials but do you so let's just look at this like from a conspiracy lens what do you feel like is happening with the conservatorship what do you think is really happening if you could take a guess between Brittany and her family what's your thoughts oh I mean I totally think that she's trying to get the hell out of it I think she really does want to be freed I think that she has sort of been sending messages like via Instagram I think some of her Instagrams are just a little interesting but you know what I mean like she's the picture of that she posted of a hole being like there's always a way out and and even Paris Hilton saying you know I would I'm sure she wants to be free you know I know how it feels to be controlled Mm -hmm. and then her brother in that horrible interview basically confirming that yeah she's always wanted to get out of it and so and again those those recent legal documents where she admitted that she was aware of the free Britney movement and and quoted the fan support as being informed so mm-hmm. I think that sort of confirms it for me and maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist now but I fully believe that she is trapped and is trying to get out of it do you think that Jamie the father I can't believe the father's name is Jamie the mother's name is Lynn and they have a daughter named Jamie Lynn that is just unbelievable red flag number do one you, honestly do you think that Jamie the father is like this horrible bad guy or do you think he's genuinely convinced that Britney's not okay I fully believe that he's a bad dude and let me tell you why because from start to finish you can just tell that everybody again it's a very small circle of people that are really connected to Britney and have actually worked with her and helped her along this whole process of her career and this conservatorship And almost every person they interviewed basically said the same things. I mean, even the first woman that I think Brittany initially signed with said, the only interaction I've had with Jamie is that he said, my daughter's going to be so rich, she's going to buy me a boat. And then she said, that's all I'll say. And so that was sketchy. And again, as soon as Britney goes under the conservatorship where he's making money off of her money, all of a sudden she's doing everything. She's touring. She releases. Yeah. She's making all these appearances. And they said she made $58 million in 12 months. And so you can just tell, and even the fact there's an interview with her brother, as I already mentioned, and it's disgusting to watch. He basically makes a comment about how, 
all the women in the family are just way too strong minded and, you know, they don't back down and he seemed really annoyed by it. And obviously I'm sure he got that from his dad. And so I very much do get the sense that her dad is just trying to make his coin and he knows that she's fully capable. Like if he's been around for her whole career, she, he knows, you know, what she's capable of. And the fact that she refuses to work until he's no longer in charge, that pretty much confirms it for me. Damn, that's such, those are all such great points. I didn't even think about how, of course, it's like obviously right in front of you, but how she didn't start making all this coin until she was under the conservatorship. And would she have done that? No, because that was like really recent after her breakdown. She did not have that much time. And also the fact that she posted on Instagram or it's basically confirmed that somebody else posted on her Instagram when she went missing for several weeks. And then she finally posted saying, you know, we all just need a little me time, but somebody pointed out, and this is such good investigative skills. Somebody pointed out that she put a smiley face and not an emoji. And she always uses emojis. And then it was confirmed through that voicemail that she had already been checked in to this facility and that was not her that posted that. So it's so sketchy on every end. And I can't believe that I'm saying I trust Paris Hilton more than Britney's dad, but I do. And you can (laughs) tell that Paris feels horrible and she knows that Britney wants to get out. So yeah, screw that guy. Screw you, Jamie. You're on the wrong side. The dots connect too much for it to be a coincidence. And I it's that's what's probably the saddest thing is nobody has any power control nobody that gives nobody that cares or think that you know she desperately needs help can do anything about it other than you know petition and you know be there all those people at the court like outside the court you know rooting for her and people writing their own accounts of this and that it's just so sad I and the reason I asked that question earlier about do you think he's just a bad guy or do you think he genuinely thinks um Brittany is sick or you know actual actually has mental health issues to where it leaves her unable to manage her finances and manage her life and the reason I asked that is because I'm curious if there is like any sort of like Stockholm syndrome going on with him where Mm -hmm. he has like convinced himself or their family has convinced themselves because it really feels like that's what's happening where she's like everybody's telling me that I'm crazy and that I can't do it but like how could I not be fit to manage my own finances and she didn't say this but this is I'm paraphrasing what I think she she thinks how could I not be fit to manage my own finances and my own decisions when I'm literally doing a tour and making racking in five 58 million dollars worth of revenue in a year by touring performing photographing interviewing whatever but yet she can't manage her own finances and then that other note about how they were like, we basically see this conservatorship as a business. Did you, do you remember that? I was like, yes. what? So disgusting. <laughs> and how ironic that the other person that's in on it, or he's no longer in on it, but it was Brittany's dad and a guy with the last name of Wallet. And I just thought that was very <laughs> ironic because that's literally all they're trying to do is stuff their wallets on yeah. the poor girl's success. I think everybody should watch the Hulu documentary. And I just... it's getting so much media attention it has been for the last year and then the documentary is like resurging that along with different trial dates for her conservatorship and stuff and there's so much that we don't know because it's a lot of legal proceedings that are behind closed doors but you know we'll continue to cover it if any news breaks but I honestly am scared that this is going to be one of those things that we don't get answers until someone dies you know what I mean or like 20 years down the line but honestly I'm really excited because 
I think her friend Felicia, who was also her assistant for a long time, said it really well. She, you know, she said, I really do believe that Brittany will get her time eventually to sit down and tell her story. And by God, that is going to break the internet if she ever does get out of this and she finally gets to a place where she wants to talk about it all because there is so much that we all don't know. My last comment on this documentary, I'll make it quick, is just screw the paparazzi. I was so mad that they, I mean, you know, of course she's made out to look insane when she hits the guy's car with an umbrella, but that is because they are literally in her face. They won't leave her alone. They're threatening her and screw that guy that they interviewed. You know, one of the, whoever was interviewing him basically asked him, why didn't you ever just leave her alone or you know why didn't you ever just give her some space and he goes oh she never asked for that and the <laughs> reporter goes oh but remember when she said please leave me alone and he goes oh well that was just like leave me alone for the day not forever you know screw you like they are a huge factor in all of these problems by far yeah. no it's crazy how they can explain away the parts of their responsibility yep in her like mental health breakdown the way that he was just he made it out leave me alone forever uh yeah she did she definitely did and he almost that one guy that they were interviewing he almost had this pride and confidence as though his work helped her get her success and so he didn't feel guilty about where it landed her totally because they're like what that's I think that's a way that like paparazzi make themselves feel better like they can sleep at night by saying we're actually giving them their career when in reality nobody likes the paparazzi no the paparazzi and Jamie are on the wrong side please go watch this documentary even if you're not a Britney fan it's an amazing watch really well done and again search the New York Times presents not Britney Spears (laughs) okay speaking of female pop stars working overtime Taylor Swift is working overtime this year. She has just announced on Instagram on Thursday morning that her re-recorded album, Fearless, Taylor's version, will be released soon, full of 26 songs, six of which never before released songs, six of which are never before released songs from the vault. Quote, I've spoken a lot about why I'm remaking my first six albums, but the way I've chosen to do this will hopefully illuminate where I'm coming from. Artists should own their work for, for so many reasons, but the most screamingly obvious one is that the artist is the only one who really knows the body of work for example only i know which songs i wrote that almost made the fearless album songs i absolutely adored but were held back for many reasons like don't want too many breakup songs don't want too many tempo songs can't fit that many songs etc those reasons seem unnecessary now i've decided i want you to have the whole story see the entire vivid picture and let you into the entire dreamscape that is my fearless album so this is really awesome news. I mean, we obviously knew that the re-recorded albums were coming. So what is actually news to us now is the fact that she's releasing one of them. Um, we didn't know if they were going to come all at once, if they were going to come kind of randomly, if they were going to come as soon as they were done. And then the other news is that she's actually adding six more unreleased tracks to the album that were written at the time it was created, which is just so cool. Scooter Braun could um, never. And she is dropping Love Story single re-recorded tonight, which is going to be fucking iconic. It'll be number one by the morning. A hundred percent. I am so excited for this. I'm actually so excited 
for these remastered versions. And it's so cool to be able to have both. I'm never going to stream the old ones again, but it's going to be so awesome. I mean, who doesn't have that entire album committed to their memory and the way it sounds? And I don't think she's going to try to like sound the same. I think she's going to elevate it in some way or another while also keeping true to the originals, which is so fun. And I love that she kind of went back to her roots of hiding the date. Because did you notice that she hit, of course, April 9th in that through the yeah. capitalized letters? And she used to do that way back in the day. I feel like that was the OG Easter egg. Yeah, totally. I loved that too. And I liked how blatant it was. Because sometimes her Easter eggs are like psychotic. And <laughs> I, I think she is probably going to be, I don't know what cadence she's going to be, you know, nobody knows what cadence she's going to be dropping the rest of her albums. But it's probably going to be a fucking lot to keep track of. So she's probably just trying to keep it low key. I also really got to lay it out for people. (laughs) Yes. I also think something that's really cool about this is it feels kind of full circle because obviously any album is made to tell a story, right? But now we have this perception of Taylor that's like no longer does she have to be her work she can just tell it like a story kind of like evermore in folklore like she made it clear like your work can be inspired by things that have happened in your life but these are just tales and so I feel like it's so awesome that we get to listen to fearless and not have to have the whole conversation of like is this about Kim and Kanye is this about Joe Alwyn is this about her getting married because we know that these songs were written years ago and so they're just like little time capsules of something she may have felt in the past which is so fun because then we don't have to fucking pick her apart and talk about her life and talk about all the things she's doing now we can just appreciate her as a 16-year-old writing these iconic words. I'm really curious, and I don't know if you know this, I don't know if this has been announced, but do you think she would ever redo any music videos? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about that. I feel that's like- That's a lot of work and a lot of money, but that would just be interesting. Also, you know, not that everything's about money, but like the reason she's re-recording her masters is so that she can own her- body of work as records and I wonder if like the ownership and like the legalities of her copyrighted stuff like in video format is different it's probably still owned by big machine but I'm just curious like how that looks yeah I know I don't I guess it depends on what she has rights to like maybe she already or maybe yeah maybe Scooter Braun isn't involved in her music videos but that would just be interesting to see I do know for sure that TikTok is going to be exploding in April. It's going to be Taylor Swift everywhere. I remember after Evermore came out, that's all I saw is just people rating the album, like going over their favorite songs. Every song is going to be trending. It's going to be a Taylor Swift takeover. And I'm not mad about it at all because those were all iconic bops. Well, it's going to be so interesting too because I'm sure, you know, Gen Zers have gone back and listened to her music. Like she's still relevant. But also they probably look at Taylor so different than we look at her. Like we look at Taylor, like we grew up with her. We had our teenage years with her. We had those heartbreak anthems the same time she was writing them. And it's kind of like, you know, this this day and age, that person is ego. So are they going to resonate it with the same way? Or is it going to be different? Like, is it just going to sound like some old person's music because it's just someone's remastered album or whatever? I don't know. I just think that's so fascinating. And the other thing too, I'm sorry, I'm like totally rambling because there's so many interesting things about this. Like this has never happened before. It's exciting. 
I'm also really curious if, cause Taylor is like the sole songwriter on, or she's a songwriter on all of her music as far as I know, but on the Fearless album, there are several other people with songwriter credit to name a few, Liz Rose, Hillary Lindsay, Colby Calais, and John Rich. And I'm curious, I don't know how, how this works legally, but like, are they just totally cashing out because she's going to be re-releasing like all of this new music and they're going to get all of the like compensation for having that songwriter credit on the new work too? Because I'm sure she can't just remove them. Like it's like copyrighted, you know, like different lyrics that they wrote, I think. I don't know. What an amazing question. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. Like if you're those people, you're thinking, okay, so I don't have to do anything else, but I'm about to make bank on this re-release. Oh exactly. They're just lit as fuck. Like, let's go. <laughs> oh my God. That like, is- I don't give a shit. <laughs> and that's such a great point. And you know that Taylor isn't the type to try to, you know, sneak her way out of it or, you know, get them off the record. I'm sure she's very giving and is giving them every bit of coin that they deserve for their. Totally. Oh my God. Because like, wow. Because it- writing songs. <laughs> she's setting the precedent for things that could happen all the time in the future because this is, ne- again, this has never happened. But, you know, what if down the line people are just like, you know what, I don't want, like, for whatever reason, I mean, actually, it probably would happen that most people would be able to obtain their master's, but for whatever reason, it was withheld from Taylor. But if people wanted to do that, like, what kinds of, like, legal proceedings will happen as a result of that, that will set the precedent for musicians down the line? It's just interesting to think about. Oh, amazing points brought up. Wow. That'll be super interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, let's try to get a hold of their financial records and we'll get some answers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm super excited though. I'm going to fucking bop to love story tonight and it's going to be iconic. And Taylor is just raking it in. Take my streams, baby. She really is working overtime this year. She is putting in every hour on the hour, nonstop. (laughs) And we truly thank you for your service, Taylor. We do have to stand that behavior. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, we actually did it. And in perfect timing. What a fun episode. I mean, that was just, these are the weeks that I love when everything is hot off the press. They're all developing stories and it's not scraping at the bottom of the barrel to try to find a spring. <laughs> this was a very fulfilling episode. As fun as scraping the bottle of the ba- bottom of the barrel can be, it is nice to just not be able to stop talking. But I think we covered everything, all the points I wanted to make. I was doing a lot of brainstorming this week. Like, oh my God, I got to remember all the stuff I need to talk about because there's so much good tea to spill. And I think we got it all out. So I'm feeling really good about that. We really did. And because, you know, a lot of these are developing stories, we will obviously be posting any updates on our Instagram where we will always be keeping you guys in the loop. Yes, at the wrong side podcast on Instagram. Feel free to give us a follow. Feel free to send us a DM. If you We're want almost at 300. I know. I'm so excited. That's pretty cool. And of course, you know, find us on Apple Pods, find us on Spotify. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it. It might help us, you know, reach our yearly goals. I'm doing the worm, but you can't. Oh, you're doing the worm? <laughs> Is that not the worm? The worm is when you're on your stomach, like you're doing the wave. Whatever. This is a worm too, brother. People are going to think you're just flopping <laughs> on your stomach like convulsing. Let's let them, let's let them think that. <laughs> They're like, wow, she sounds really clear and normal. We're convulsing <laughs> she's on the really floor. good. <laughs> wow, she's really good. <laughs> now I have to go take a video of me doing the worm. <laughs> 
BTS. BTS, baby. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for being with us this week. We will catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.